This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Offen. Adjust Your Tracking is brought to you by the Playlist Podcast Network. All our episodes can be found at theplaylist.net. So Joe, uh, I feel like, you know, we've been we've been kind of down on this podcast of late. Um, yeah, I feel like we always like we say that for every year. It's not like <laughs> there's a year where it's like we've rebounded. Oh man, everything's great. Like it's just we, we we've been down since 2012. <laughs> there's a series of ups and downs in in the yeah. movie year, but I I do think you have a, a good point. Like there is a sort of for for as much as it feels like every year there's some new trend or something we're either um, bemoaning or you know ex, uh, extolling its virtues. We do se- te- seem to go in these patterns year to year, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that makes me feel better or just more accepting of like okay, you know, there's there's ebbs and flows. Like we we tend to love that beginning of the, the year or like we have, um, or like springtime exciting yep. releases summer. There's always that lull, but, um, this, you know, this time of year in the fall, of course, it seems like, I don't know about you, but like every critic or colleague in my, in my social media feeds are at a festival of some sort. And, yep. um, I don't know. I, that maybe part of it for me is like, I really wish personally, I just selfishly would like to be at one of those festivals and I'm not. and, it can almost feel uh, quite overwhelming to just be inundated with all these titles where I'm excited to see them. But then it's like, how, how do you remember all these or, and keep track of everything? It can, right. it can be daunting, but um, yeah, I guess I just want to see movies like everybody else is right now. I want to sit at the adult table with everybody. You don't want yeah. to be related to the kids table where you're just hearing about <laughs> titles that, it will most likely be forgotten. It, I don't know. It's weird because like there's that festival. I, we've talked about this before, but like the festival kind of like delusion where there's like it's it's not unreal the sort of enthusiasm you can get from like a packed screening of a movie. Like the, that connection you have with it is genuine. It's just like when it sort of has to make its long crawl into its eventual theatrical release or VOD release or whatever it's going to be for that particular film. You know the sort of the momentum and commotion around the movie can start to die down. And mm-hmm. it's just like, as, as it becomes like more and more that people need everything spoon fed to them in terms of like what they're seeing, I think it's just harder for movies that are of like a certain kind of dynamic and complication to present themselves mm-hmm. to audiences nowadays. Like there's all kinds of just complicated shit in terms of like what the, what you can watch on the internet, you know, and like what you have access to. But it seems like, the formula that large audiences are going to in terms of movies is getting dumber and dumber and they need to have it like overly explained to them like what it is, mm-hmm. you know? And like, so a movie like we're going to discuss today, like kicks, uh, that's, that's the film that we're discussing, uh, Justin Tipping's directorial debut. Um, it played festivals, like it played a couple, I think it played Tribeca mm-hmm. and then the LA film festival, and, um, you know, it's, it feels like a, like it, it should have played Sundance and stuff like that. I don't know if it was eligible for it. 
but it, it feels like a festival kind of a movie. And there's like, there was, you know, enough of a buzz around the film. It's like a, a kind of visionary new work from a new filmmaker. But as it started to kind of get reviewed by people, it's gotten good reviews, like decent, solid kind of uh, praise for it. But a few of the ones that like stuck out to me were commenting on how they're like, you know, it's a little bit too gritty for its own good. And it's like, I don't know. It could have toned down on the grit. And I was just, and this was before I saw it. And then when I saw it, I was like, there is a, an absolute heartache at the core of this movie. Sometimes I wish I had a spaceship. Just hang out in space where it's quiet. And no one can mess with me. I'm from East Bay. Those are my best friends. We do everything together. Girl, can't you see me in the studio? You're in the closet with your fat ass. Sometimes, I feel like everybody cooler than me. Maybe because I'm small. Can't play pickup. Can't pull no girls. Can't... Hey, 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 hey. Will Smith's son, look a little boy. Come here. These cost more than your life. Those is tight. Hey, where'd you get your shoes? Damn. We'll just get the plot synopsis out of the way. Um, coming of age story about a, a kid amongst a group of three friends who, um, you know, like fixates on like a pair of shoes that he feels is going to sort of like transform his whole experience, like going to high school. And he, he's, he's youngish looking. He's kind of like got an effeminate quality to him, but he's just like fixates on these like shoes that are just going to transform him and his whole experience. And then he ends up, like, losing them, getting beat up, and having them, like, ripped away from him. And the rest of the movie is, like, him trying to, like, reclaim the shoes in this kind of bicycle thief way, where it's, like, this mm. this thing that's the key to everything, and he has to get it back. Otherwise, his, sort of, his whole world will start to disassemble. And so I think, like, to people, the synopsis, maybe, and, you know, they're... Maybe it was supposed to be, in their eyes, like more fun. It's like a coming-of-age story about a kid who loses his shoes and has to get him back. But there's, like, there's an intensity, and there's a gloom, and there's just, like, there's a heartache in this film. Mm. And it's just, like, as I was watching it and kind of thinking about those people who were like, it's a little bit too gritty for its own good. I'm not, I'm not directly quoting it, but that's the sort of, like, that's... That's the base of what they're saying. Mm. I was like, well, why shouldn't it be fucking gritty? Like, it doesn't have to be... Like every inner city movie does not have to be a tragedy. Yeah. Of course not. Like no no one wants that. No one wants things to just inevitably lead down this trajectory where like there's tragedy. But they're like this is about people who live in a kind of desolation. You know, there's mm-hmm. they're they're economically, you know, at a disadvantage and they're struggling and there's a sadness to that, but there's also like there's there's the camaraderie amongst the friends that's like there's lots of shit talking and kind of like a lot of the great early 90s inner city coming of age movies Definitely. there's a lot of humor in it there's yeah. a lot of like there's a there is a lot of like fun to be had but it was just like i think because the movie isn't necessarily packaged as a prestige film like this is a message movie it's not packaged that way Therefore, people are assuming, like, well, it should be fun then. If it's not a movie where I'm going to walk away with a message, then, like, the, why, why isn't this more fun than it is? And, like, mm. I think I just was having, like, imaginary arguments with people because it was just, like, <laughs> I loved that it was, like, a, 
a bruised, haunted, kind of like just a heavy feeling movie, despite its sort of like spikes in humor and like its its sense of relief occasionally. And ultimately, it's a hopeful film. Right. Like as much as there's tragedy dripping from like every angle of this film, like there's like there's hope and there's optimism in it. There is. And there's like uh, a sense of, well, I I like because you really got at it. There is like what makes this movie so special and has me excited about it is um, is that like it's kind of all those things. It's it can be funny. It can be uh, it can be deeply like scary at times, man. There are there are moments in the last third of this movie where I was like, holy shit, has this become like a genre thriller all of a sudden, like a a chase movie? And it, it never fully dips its toes into any of specific movies. So you can't really compartmentalize it. You can't just label it as, oh, it's a, it's another, you know, inner city tragedy. It's not that it's, it's, it is very much akin to those movies that I think are kind of special to us, you know, from the early nineties, we've mm-hmm. talked about juice and uh, menace to society, boys in the hood, like a lot of those movies that were prevalent in the early nineties and we've even talked about later on, like stuff like Belly, you know, where they kind of became abstracted as a subgenre yeah. of movies in interesting ways. What I love is that this movie reminds you that, like, th- those stories are not played out. You know, like they didn't just have their time then and it's time to move on. It's and like they're not relevant anymore. Yes, exactly. No, this is still deeply relevant. But what's great about it is it's it's um. If, if you have to call it anything, yeah, sure. Maybe a coming of age story too. It's all of those elements are really well done in this movie. And I think some of it starts with not just this director, Justin Tipping, who, I, I mean, I don't know about you. This is a, a complete new discovery for me. I, I, I haven't seen like a short film of his that might've popped up online. Is he, is the name familiar to you at all? No, Before? I mean, I looked up his website and I think he's done a lot of like videos and uh, commercial work and stuff like that. So I think he... He was probably enough of a name in in that world where it was like, oh, he's got he's got a real like focus and point of view, and so like I don't I don't know how he kind of like got enough clout to you know like fund an entire feature, but like I'm grateful that he did. Seriously, and that's that's what I things I would love to like ask him if I if you can interview the guy is like how because this movie feels it's something I think. We, we maybe it's a thing we fall back on or we say about little movies like this that we really like is like it feels big. Yeah. It it feels really big in the filmmaking. It's um but yet it is clearly a low budget movie. Yet I don't know, it just it doesn't look or feel like most uh tiny budget movies. It's not a dinner party movie, it's not a single setting thing. It's it's environment, it's location. No, it's is... got, it's, yeah, it's got a scope and a scale and it knows like the moments that feel big feel big in a way that like they don't necessarily have to be expensive. It takes space and it like it builds these like perfect moments. You know, there's like the sequence leading up to um, when Brandon, the lead character, is about to get his like shoes snatched away from him and he gets jumped by a group of kids. And um, he's walking through his school that's empty. The school's done for the day. And he's kind of going through the motions of everything he wishes he had the confidence to do. And it's a quiet and understated sequence where he's like, you know, kind of ghost playing basketball. He's walking through the hallways confidently. He's like pretending to like talk with like a bravado, but you can't hear what he's saying. Mm. And it's just like, it's it's sad, 
but it's like sweet that it's just like, oh, here's here's him and his kind of like fantasy life in his head, how he would want to be. And then it's just it's sort of like you connect to him in that moment and it lowers like you lower your guard right before like the jaws sort of snap shut around him. Mm. And it's like that that's so beautifully executed in the movie. And so and it, and it builds to this moment that feels big and it feels like nuanced in the way that like movies that are only big now, like just don't even achieve that level of connection. Yeah, it's amazing how the quote unquote big budget movies, uh, most of them today tend to feel small or like studio made because you even if it's more than just the green screen effect that everything looks like it was shot in a studio. Yeah. That might be a big part of it. Like a lot of the effects and stuff look the same, but it is amazing the like the just the sheer difference in 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 like in terms of the scale that's coming out of the film that I'm experiencing. And I watched Kicks on a really shitty like you know online link on my computer with headphones last night, and I got just sucked into it in a way that having headphones on probably helped me get lost in that world. Right. And I think that's what's really another thing that's really special about this movie is it it creates its world and it's a very specific perspective of its lead character, which is something I just tend to really go for, especially when it's done this confidently. And I think that's what I mean by the 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 what's so impressive by the the direction of Justin Tipping is like this is a director that just feels like fully formed already. Um, I think it was uh, it, it, uh, it wasn't the, the Rodrigo Perez, the editor in chief of the playlist. He wrote a really glowing review, gave it an A uh, over the weekend. He reviewed it and he, he was kind of saying a similar thing of like this feels more like a third or a fourth film in terms of its confidence and uh, the skill with which it's pulled off. Uh, it's it's super exciting to find directors like this yet, um, you know, on the other hand. I would love to see this movie on a big screen. And uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. It's um, we've been getting kind of mixed uh, details from the reps we've been talking with to find out like, when is this movie going to go to other theaters? But you had a chance to see it on a big screen in LA over the weekend, correct? Yeah. Um, And it was, uh, I think it's doing okay. Um, But it's playing in one theater in Los Angeles, the arc light. And you know, that's like, for for film lovers like that's the place to see it they really take care to like uh, assure that you're having like the most immersive experience possible Mm. and so like yeah like you get lost in the movie immediately and it's just like it really does it was it's it's sad like it's sort of like the heartache of the movie bleeds into the experience of watching it almost that it was Mm. just like i was one of five people watching the movie in the theater and it was just like this movie that like really benefits from just giving yourself over to it and sitting in the dark and letting these like, you know, like it's, it's gorgeously shot. Oh my God. Yeah. It's a lot of really like bleak circumstances that it's covering, but it's like, it's got these surrealistic kind of like detachments and sort of fantasy sequences Mm -hmm. that are like, are, are, are beautiful and overwhelming on the big screen. And the sound design is really like really well done. And just feeling feeling the enormity of it in a movie that's like you know in in it's 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 an intimate and intense movie, but there is an enormity to the vision that really like you get when you're sitting in the theater. I wonder, you know, too, like um, maybe if 
people that listen to the show wonder sometimes what we're getting at when we try to say like, this is a movie to me that's very cinematic and takes it, it like this movie had it. Yeah. it they chose what's that? It's vague to say something cinematic. Yeah, it's a right. movie. Right. It's it, but like you know, if we can get into it, and you you had alluded to it, like the sound design using those like technical elements to elevate moments, and I feel. Yeah. Um, you know, you had mentioned some overall feelings you had from some reviews were that maybe this movie has too much grit to it, which is pretty laughable because um, I would say there's a nice a nice mix of grit and, like you said, the fantasy surrealistic elements, the the sort of, you know, the stuff that's not really happening in the real world. Like, all of that also helps elevate a story and makes it feel like it belongs on a big screen is cinematic. Yeah. but. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of um, stylistic flourishes that really work to amplify the story and tell it in a way that's, like, the most exciting way to tell it. And I think, like, slow motion is used almost, like, laughingly a lot in this movie, but never, for me, veered into, like, comical, like, over, you know, just, like, overuse. It's all part of the, like, pacing of the movie. Like, there's different settings of slow motion that I feel like happen throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. And all of it is to just is really to put you in that perspective of the lead character. And it it is, I guess um, for me, the the best way to put it in terms of when we say, "Ah, I love that this thing is so cinematic is that not that it just belongs on a big screen, but that it's using all those elements that only a movie can do in that short running time that it's supposed to tell its story and does it with like, you know uh, like, purpose and flourish and it's it, it just makes the story it's so immersive in that way yeah and it, it's it's another one of those like great examples of a movie that's able to take references even if it's not overt but it just feels like it's it's taking from a language of like the history of film and synergizing them into something unique you know like there's it, it i told you uh, before you had a chance to see it, like it reminded me a lot of La Ain in yeah. the way that like it's it's focusing on the the sort of like urgent, intense circumstance amongst the, this group of three friends, and it also has these weird kind of like surrealistic asides and this kind of sense of like being outside of time. The sort of opening and closing of Kicks is very similar to La Ain in that yes. way, where it's like kind of drifting in space before it sort of like lands on earth in this hard grounded, like immediate way. And, um, yeah, I just, I think that that sense of, of vacillating between this like urgent intensity of like life and dire times. And then having these sort of like dreamy asides that sort of like, that's what like being young feels like and fantasizing and just sort of like thinking about, you know, like escape, and it's just got these like these touches of like there's like Fellini a little bit in it. There's like yeah. images of like eight and a half where like feet drifting like in the air and that sort of opening dream sequence in eight and a half. Mm-hmm. There's like some there's some four hundred blows in there. And then like I said, the bicycle thief and having like this this sense of like having this quest or your whole world is gonna fall apart if he, he doesn't get his bike back, or in this case his shoes back, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I like that because it's it's um, maybe the easy tagline, the easy hook for this movie. At least let's if we're thinking like a marketer, which I don't know if I properly know how to think like that, but let's let's try. Is oh, this is a movie about uh, like shoe the culture of like being really into shoes. You know, like that's the passion of this character and these the three main characters. Like they sit around and talk about their Air Jordans, and that's like everything to them. 
But what I like is that this movie, it's not like, oh, I need to be into shoe culture to see kicks. You know, that would be the sort of reductive way to think yeah. of this movie. It really is, um, even though it's a tiny movie, it's hopefully going to be in more theaters. We will find out. I know it's going to be on VOD October 11th. And I'll just keep, like, stumping for this movie until then because I think a lot more people, if they if they just have heard about this movie, should give it a chance for that reason. Like, it's just a great movie. Yeah. You don't have to be a part of said culture to like the movie. Like, as much as we get – it kind of, you know, brings up a, a thing of, like, the factioning off or everything becoming niche that, mm-hmm. like, it makes – I think it makes some people think, like, well, I'm not into that, so – that movie's not for me, but um, I guess that's another idea for me that makes something cinematic is like exposing me to a world, a character's perspective, someone else's experience. That's part of the idea of going on like a cinematic experience is being put in someone else's shoes, seeing what it's like to live life uh, for these characters. And that's something that kicks also just does so well and also did. Yeah. Very much reminded me of La Haine. That's a, it was a great comparison in, in some ways I thought of, um, uh, the movie from uh, last year, Sean Baker's Tangerine. Mm-hmm. In terms of like, Tangerine had a, a maybe a more propulsive sort of fast um, go for broke sort of pace to it, whereas uh, Kicks is it's it sort of long, mournful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it is, and it and it also is. It has like these slow, like the slow motion is seriously used so much in this movie that it it really lulls you into a dreamy feeling and that's something i want to be like overtaken by at the cinema and i hope i can i again i I, i'm looking to see if this is going to arrive in any theaters in portland um a rep told me it was gonna open september 16th we'll see um and if it is i'm i'm going to the theater as soon as possible to see this thing yeah it's got some of like my favorite scenes this year like the sideshow scene which Mm. is like it's all slow-mo of like cars spinning around people. <laughs> and it's like, it's that atmosphere of the Bay area. That's kind of like underrepresented. And I think in a lot of the inner city movies, like yeah. there's Fruitvale station from a few years ago, but mostly like it's a, it's a very, like it's a, it's a storied environment. And like, I mean, that's where the black Panthers came from was from Oakland. And so like, there's just this like sense of history and kind of sorrow there that like is like, is very legible when you're, when you're just like watching the environment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's, it's, it's like a, such a beautifully sad movie to get like lost in that world. Yeah. I also love that it, um, the movie has a sense of like, there is potential tragedy that could happen or the consequences in the movie are very real. And I, I liked all that, but also that this movie never plays it up like this is like a war zone. This there are real dangers almost at every corner uh, in this movie for for the lead character. At least from his perspective, he feels like anywhere he goes, someone's gonna want to mess with him. Yeah, and it's a real concern for him. He's this little kid, you know, blah blah blah. But um, I love that the movie never. It does have this mix of like the sort of reckless abandon of youth of feeling what that's like to feel like you have no care in the world that you can just spend a day kind of riding your bike, hanging out with your buddies, smoking weed, and then like partying. And then, Oh gosh, suddenly you're wrapped up in a crazy story. I don't, I like the fact that it, it, it's part of the confidence in the filmmaking is that it, the tone was struck really well in this movie and never, never falls into a sense like, Oh, this world is, it's like, this is the world that they know and they love. And it's not, it's um scary and that's a real thing for them. There are, the threats are real, but they never feel like 
I don't know. It's it, it felt something like an updated feel of the, from the stuff in the early '90s. Like as much as I still really love like things like Menace to Society and Juice and and those and those films is like it feels like there's a different perspective added now a couple decades on that we can have for a similar kind of movie. And um, that was really refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I guess a lot of it also helped by uh, just a really killer cast in this movie. Oh, yeah. The casting is incredible. Yeah. All these kids, like I'm can't wait to see what else they pop up in. And I feel like, uh, if they're not going to end up in more movies down the road, like they're going to show up in, in TV shows or whatever else. There's just so much stuff being made that like these actors should be getting more roles. And I'm, I'm certainly hoping, uh, hoping for that. Um, on another note, you know, you, you, you brought up Fruitvale Station, uh, Ryan Coogler, that director, a director we've like really gotten behind from, from that film and, and Creed last year, which was such a good movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess I'm hoping that um, Justin Tipping, who I feel like, is another exciting voice as a filmmaker. I hope he doesn't get too sucked into that, that studio machine. That is, uh, I'd, I, I want to see what Ryan Coogler is going to be able to do, but of course, you know, his new movie is going to be the, um, uh, I think it's black Panther, the Marvel movie, black Panthers. So, um, you know, but will, I, while I'm excited for this director, I hope he gets a chance to keep making his own movies for a while. I, but you know, then again, I want to see what he wants to do. And, I'll follow him through that. But, um, you know, there's all this weird trepidation that happens now. Where it's like, oh, it's a new, exciting director. But um, is he going to get sucked into the machine or is he going to struggle like um, the director of Tangerine, Sean Baker? You know, like that director has struggled just to get his little movies made over the years. But he's kind of holding, you know, he's sticking to his guns and doing what he wants to do. Um you know, it just—it's weird that we're in this world where it's these extremes. You either got to live in the micro-budget world and struggle, 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 or maybe you get called up to the big leads. And you know, fingers crossed that goes o- goes okay for you because that can turn bad too. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I'm not super worried about it. It's not like something that keeps me up at night. But it's like I want these directors to get a chance to really develop their voices more. And when someone like Justin Tipping comes along who just, it, it feels like he's so fully formed already. He is, he does seem like a student of, of film history because um, you're right with the like sort of French new wave elements in this movie or the Fellini, like surrealistic stuff or bicycle thieves. This does feel like an updated um, version of something like bicycle thieves, but I love that it can modernize it with like, it's a, it's a hip hop feeling movie and does that. <laughs> I don't know. It just, it, it finds a really great like marriage of all those things. And, um, you know, it's just part of what, what's so exciting about this movie. I like, I really, uh, can't wait to see it again. Cause I feel like this movie would be better on a second viewing too. Yeah. And in the theater, uh, as I had said, like it's going to be on VOD October 11th. We'll probably just repost this episode around then to remind people, um, if that's your only choice, I'd say, you know, at least rent it on VOD. It's worth that. But yeah, if it comes to your city, uh, just be looking out uh, here this weekend. September 16th is when it's supposed to go wider. So um, keep an eye out for kicks, I guess. Please. All right. So our uh, uh, other review on this uh, episode. Wow, my voice just pitched really high there. My other it, review. You, you came of age just right then and there. <laughs> exactly. Don't steal my shoes, Joe. I'm telling you. I'll come find you. Ask um, for it. <laughs> Uh, the the other film we want to talk about is, I guess, would have belonged uh, a little bit more appropriately in the recent documentary episode that we did uh, a few episodes back. But, you know, the, the lot of docs come out 
every year, every month, there's a, there's a, there's a handful of documentaries that I want to see, I feel like. And um, the latest one that, uh, that we're here to talk about is author, the JT Leroy story. JT Leroy is a 21-year-old writer with two books of fiction based on his experiences as the son of a truck stop prostitute. Hi, I'm JT, Jeremiah Terminator Leroy. There's not a lot of discovery in publishing. William Burroughs, Janae, Allen Ginsberg, to hear a new voice was exciting. He doesn't like to show his face to the press. JT, I just thank you from the bottom of my heart. Some people think that JT Leroy might not really exist. My name's Laura Albert, and I am the writer, JT Leroy. Where to start with this one? I mean, it's uh, I, it's from the director of um, a documentary I remember and liking from... God, like 10 years ago? Was that when The da- the Devil and Daniel Johnston came out? Yeah, I think it, it made like the rounds in 2005 and then came out officially in 2006, so mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Yeah, and you know, I can see why the the person that made that movie would be interested in the JT Leroy story. And maybe before we dive into that specifically, um, first off, did you know, you, you were pretty familiar with this this piece of like, you know, uh, literary news, I guess. Were you familiar with it at the time it happened? Well, I remember seeing the name a lot and seeing like people, you know, getting kind of like swept up in the, the sort of commotion around the writer that it was, you know, this, this like young, like, you know, this young man writer who like was a, was a hustler and kind of had this damaged past and wrote memoir like, but still considered fiction, uh, like, accounts of of his like how tumultuous and tragic his his upbringing was he had aids apparently and there was just like there was a lot of momentum around him in the late 90s early 2000s i think i i started hearing more about him in the early 2000s mm-hmm. and uh his books sarah and the hardest deceitful above all things and then after that like i, I remember um aja argento um making the movie about the heart, like based on the heart is deceitful above all things, which was like a collection of short stories uh, by JT Leroy. But then I didn't, I don't think I knew, knew the twist that basically this entire film is about, which is given away at the very opening of the film, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, which basically was JT Leroy was, um, to say it's a a pen name of somebody is is sort of a it's an underselling and disservice to the like the truth of it which like it was a part of this woman basically mm-hmm. who um she just was like calling through like her upbringing into well into her adulthood she was calling these crisis hotlines as different characters and as or as different just people basically not even characters just and most of them were young boys who were in crisis and she describes that a lot of them would die, but the only one that seemed to survive was this one that she called Terminator, which is the T and the JT. Mm. And um, so it starts from this woman. You get to know this woman, Laura, who is the actual author behind these books. And it sort of like just drops you in kind of cold at the beginning of the documentary where you're just like, what? 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 What's going on? And like she she just starts talking about how she's calling these crisis lines as these people – and then this, like, a sort of career starts to, like, 
form itself from like her writing in the voice of this one character, Terminator, who then became JT Leroy. And then like her story that she writes out gets submitted to an anthology and sort of steam starts to pick up out of this. And like the, this, the whirlwind story that the, like the story's insane it and is. like, and really, and really like captivating. And the, the director, like, it's interesting because this happens with documentaries a lot where you're like, oh, you just need a good story. Nope, not true. Like, it, it takes a very careful sleight of hand as a documentarian to, like, not overburden the, the story that's interesting on its own with too much of, like, too much flair or too much aggressive, like, handling of the story. So it's really well put together. Yeah. Because uh, the story, like, he he does, the filmmaker does, like, sort of, stage it to where like it picks up this insane momentum and you're like i can't believe this is happening so <laughs> i mean part of it like i don't want to spoil it for our listeners who who don't know the story and like have a chance to just see the movie themselves cold totally like it the author basically has to develop someone who acts as the actual like kind of avatar for this like personality that she's developed. So it's not her. It's someone that she's staging as JT Leroy and watching that whole development as like the, the circus of the media intensifies around them (laughs) and like watching them sort of move through the celebrity world. It's like, it's a really fascinating kind of a exploration of abuse of like of celebrity culture of just all these things at once like the way that kicks is this sort of like it it takes all these complicated things and synergizes them into something that's like seamless and beautiful like this movie takes all these different commentaries and doesn't insist it's a commentary on like one thing <laughs> it, it manages to like comment on all this like stuff about our culture and uh yeah i don't know what do you well- think well, what I yeah, uh, and I'm I'm with you. Let's let's be as vague as possible. I think you did a good job of like giving the details that were necessary because I I knew nothing of this phenomenon and then inevitable controversy that that happened when sort yeah. of things came to light. A lot of people felt very betrayed uh, sure. by this, and I think keeping it there is is just vague enough. I'd say, but. It brings up interesting things of like um, the connection people feel like they have to art that they love and the ownership that I think um, we all sort of take when we really wrap our arms around a book, a piece of music, a film, whatever. And we're like, this is this speaks to me so much and that when you embrace it and in in some cases there were very famous people um, you know, shouting out JT Leroy is my new favorite author. I think Bono, <laughs> yep. there's, a, there's a moment where Bono like really declares his love for it. Um, this author, uh, like kind of broke into the circles with like, oh man, there's, there's moments where she meets David Milch, the creator of Deadwood, where I was like, are you kidding me? Like, how did this get, how did this happen? Like the doors that are open to these people yeah, from the, total fantasy that's been constructed uh, is mind blowing. And that was the thing where this movie keeps snowballing in a way where you're like, and then she went through this portal of celebrity and you're like, what? Like it, it keeps upping the ante without needing to do anything, you know, beyond just tell the story as, as, as basically a straight, not straightforward, but it tells the movie just well enough because it's a, the story already is inherently fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I do think it is really well constructed. And I haven't seen it, but there is a uh, movie that only came out a couple years ago, another documentary called The Cult of J.T. Leroy, uh, that I've only heard brought up. But apparently this version, the one we're talking about, author, the J.T. Mm-hmm. Leroy story, is, is a, a apparently much more like well-crafted in comparison from what I've heard. And maybe that's the reason we're hearing more about this one. Or who knows? But it might be worth just it's worth noting that there is another documentary about this story that came out only a couple years ago. Um, But, yeah, basically, I loved going in cold and just having this be one of those truth is stranger than fiction documentaries where you're just like, wow, how did I miss this when it seemed like such a big deal to a certain collection of people? But uh, one of the big takeaways was that is like the way people almost selfishly feel like they own a piece of art. And then when they feel like betrayed when something like they've been lied to. Yeah. Um, But I just think it brings up a lot of interesting things where it's like, what does the artist really owe the audience when it comes to their art? And um, man, the, the art being created in this movie goes far beyond a, a a simple book. And it really just infiltrated life in this way that kind of made me think of like this is a weird combination of um, being John Malkovich and the documentary Catfish in some ways, where the the whole Avatar element you brought up of like she's created this person in real life to play the author that she's made up. Yeah. Um, and hopefully this isn't too confusing. You know, we're we're going down rabbit holes here, but like the the sense of like she needed to create a real life puppet, and that's like what made me think of being John Malkovich in some ways, but also, um pre like social media really being involved in uh, when this, when the story was happening is like um, she creating other characters and living out other lives. And it just shows the depths of the imaginative like ability of this person, this Laura Albert. Um, mm-hmm. It's all just really fascinating. So um, yeah, I, I, I really got wrapped up in this movie and um, I, I think, I think people who just love documentaries where they, uh, not just teach you about a story you haven't heard, but also like really wrap you up in the filmmaking as well. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is another, another really strong example uh, for that this year. Well, I think also like when we, when we were discussing documentaries a few episodes ago and we got into like the catfish type um, documentary that like tickled is mm-hmm. where it's like, it's really well-made, but it also follows a, a kind of traditional trajectory of like a mystery and if the mystery doesn't like resolve itself in this sort of like eye popping, like wow way, then it's like inevitably the intrigue and the immersion you're feeling is going to kind of like anticlimax. And um, I think this movie, like the mystery is immersive, but it's playing with enough ideas that are kind of like that are, are captivating to linger on after the film like concludes. So it's just like, the movie ends strongly and like kind of like and tragically, but also there's just there's so much to sort of like chew on after the fact. So it's not just a oh that's it okay you know like right. There's a sense in like tickled or catfish like it's kind of slight once you've had the reveal. It's like oh you know that's mostly what this movie has going on. Whereas yeah, author is is much more like layered for sure. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Is it? Coming out as theatrical in VOD, or is it just theatrical at the moment? So there's no VOD yet on it. Amazon has the streaming rights, so I'm sure right. they they are doing a, a you know a small theatrical release. It's going to open in Portland uh, September 23rd, so a couple weeks from now, um, which means you should be getting in in LA or in LA and no, New York. It opened last weekend at the at the ArcLight. Oh, thank uh, yeah. Forgive me. That's right. So yeah, it's getting that slow rollout, and then Amazon. 
has held strong, even though um, not all their movies have hit well theatrically. They're they're putting their movies in theaters first, and then you know eventually it will um, probably be on Amazon Prime. I'm I'm sure that's that's where its home is going to be once it's given its theatrical run. And um, you know that I, I think that's cool. I think I think this is a movie that you could watch on VOD, and it would still work really well as a absolutely as, yeah, yeah as a movie, but. Um, also could be worth seeing in a in a in a screen because like uh on a like a theater because um it, it it's you know we're not going to sit I, I i'm not going to sit here and say it's like as cinematic as kicks or anything like that but in terms of a documentary there really is a lot of um like it's a well-crafted documentary and definitely um you know uses uses the tools of that kind of storytelling to to tell this story like at its best it's um it's one that i like i said i got really wrapped up in this one and uh, i love learning about a piece of even recent news like this but just being like wow how did i how did i miss this like the movie movie makes it feel like everybody was freaking out about this and it's like oh yeah it's, it's a reminder that even when something can seem big to a certain uh to a specific like niche or a, a, you know, culture of people that are in the literary world or whatever. It's like, it's uh what's great about this movie is it, you can feel like you're out, you're in the outside looking in from a story like that, but this movie really invites you into it because it just is almost entirely giving you the perspective of Laura Albert, the, the writer of these books that created this whole world. And it's, um it's really fascinating to get her perspective because apparently there was a lot of, news and articles written think pieces written about um this this ultimate betrayal that happened and you know while we want to leave that for the audience to discover um it's it it is exciting to 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 chew on because the movie is like super entertaining but also just drums up all these interesting things about like celebrity culture and uh you know the the art versus the artist all that stuff um yeah while also yeah just being a fun ride for sure yeah you get all of it all right, so let's wrap up episode 138 of Adjust Your Tracking. Uh, all these episodes, all our episodes can be found at theplaylist.net. And you can also find us on the very confusing, I'm sure we'll get a handle on this, but the, the Playlist Podcast iTunes feed. That's where all our shows live uh, for the Playlist Podcast Network. Um, so you can find them there. Subscribe, uh, rate, and review on iTunes if you like. You can find us on SoundCloud, too. Um, but there's ways for people to connect to us uh, on Adjust Your Tracking as well, right, Joe? Yeah, uh, Twitter. You heard of it. I think um, so. I think so. <laughs> Follow us. Um, we got a Facebook page. We do. We do. Yeah. Um, I've been putting a little more time here and there day to day on the Twitter feed. I feel like that's maybe a little more um, – it's it's less aggravating in this uh, deep political climate that we're in. Um then going on Facebook, you know, like uh, sometimes Twitter can be a little bit more of a respite for me. So, um, yeah. uh, the ad adjust your track Twitter feed, um, uh, might be, you know, that's probably where we're going to be con- posting, um, our own thoughts, articles that we're into. And of course, episodes of all the podcast, uh, will be coming through Twitter the most, but if, yes, we do have a Facebook page. You can email us at adjust your tracking at gmail.com. And uh, we would love it if you did that. Uh, give us some ideas. Uh, you know, just give us, give us some idea of what you think of the show. Uh, we'd love to hear any feedback. Um, so, yeah, we, we want to thank the playlist for, you know, uh, and Rodrigo Perez, editor-in-chief there, for being our overlord of all these shows and taking care of us, giving us a home for these episodes. But uh, more than anything, I need to thank you, Joe, for talking with me today. Oh, thanks, Eric. 